This is the Ned Group Investments Podcast, a space where you can learn more about our fund managers, the funds they manage, as well as getting up-to-date and important developments affecting the investment world and how they might be relevant to you. I'm at the Ned Group Investments International Summit in the London Stock Exchange, and I've managed to steal Andy Headley away after his fantastic presentation earlier today. Thank you for joining us, Andy. Oh, you're welcome. Nice to be here, Rob. So, Andy, you've been managing the Veritas Global Focus strategy now for nearly 20 years. What, what have you seen within the markets that may have changed or evolved over that time that has, that has forced you to kind of think differently about the way you go about investing? Yeah, so uh, we've always had the same philosophy in, in the way that we manage money. So we've always been looking for high-quality companies. We've always tried to buy them when they're attractively valued. And so that, that kind of underpinned everything we've done. Um, but clearly, over the period of 20 years nearly, we've had to change the way that we do it a bit. Uh, so the process has changed. And actually, probably what's changed most in the market over, let's say, the last 10 years or so has been the influence of, I'd say, two things. One is policymakers. Um, so we've seen a huge impact from policymakers. Obviously, they've been quantitative easing and flooding the market with money. And interest rates have been pushed right down to zero uh, or thereabouts around the world. Uh, and that's had a huge influence on uh, asset valuations uh, over the period that we've been investing. And so obviously we've had to adapt to that. I mean, how do you manage money in that environment? So, you, so we have to adapt. And I'd say the second thing, which is probably more recent, so perhaps the last three or four years and, and is, in our view, continuing, is the role of kind of governments and other bodies um, that impact companies. So it might be uh, antitrust, um, it might be some you know, uh, competition commission, where, where they're coming in, I think they're starting to get a little bit more aggressive uh, than they have perhaps been over the last or the previous 10 years. And so, you know, we have to uh, deal with the influence of governments um, in the markets that we operate in. And so, so again, we've had to adapt uh, and, and try and find opportunity within that. And you've mentioned before that you you're not keen on investing in banks. And is that part of that massive oversight by regulatory bodies or, or governmental bodies? The reason for that is because because there's such a big influence on the economy as a whole, they have to be so tightly controlled. Yeah, no, so, so it's partly that, Rob. So um, it's, it's definitely the case that the regulators have, have cracked down hard on, uh, on the banks. And so they've required them to hold a lot more capital. And, and if you hold a lot more capital as a bank, it's really hard to make a high return on capital because you, you, they're, they're saying instead of holding previously maybe 9 10% uh, capital bases, they're now saying kind of 15 16 17% in some cases. Uh, and so obviously if you're earning about the same amount – uh, but you're dividing it by a much bigger capital base. Your return on capital is a much lower. And so um, so that's one reason. The, the second and probably more fundamental reason is it's pretty hard to have a competitive advantage as a bank. And obviously, you know, I said at the start, we're looking for high-quality companies. And quality for us is, you know, the ability to have a competitive advantage. So you're better than your competitors at something, and you're durably better than your competitors at something. And that's really hard for a bank because y- y- you can only borrow at such a rate – and obviously, you're lending at a rate which is competitive, and you're making the spread in between the two. Uh, and it's really difficult to sustainably have a much better spread than other banks. Um, now, having said that, we do invest in one bank. Uh, so we have a position in a Swedish bank called Svenska Handelsbanken. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what they do that's different uh, to most banks is the way that they lend. So they lend uh, very locally. So the branch manager is very involved in the lending. 
And instead of paying the branch manager a bonus if the lending goes well in a particular year, what they do is they invested to effectively the equivalent of the pension fund for the branch manager. But he could only draw that down when he retires. So in other words, it encourages very long-term lending and making sure that they, they actually have a low bad debt. And so they do actually have a, a, a structural advantage because their bad debts tend to be a lot lower than their competitors. But generally speaking, uh, banks are a difficult area for us to find competitive advantage. Right, thank you. And, and, and earlier today, you talked about the threat of disruption and how that helps you narrow your focus towards quality companies. And so w- what areas do you think are slightly immune to disruption? Or the various disruptions that you spoke about today. Yeah, so you've got to find uh, areas where you feel that they're they're super safe over a kind of twenty, thirty year horizon, and and there are quite a few areas actually that we think are are pretty safe um, over that horizon. It's just finding them when they're attractively valued. So you know, taking some some examples, things like ratings agencies, you know, fabulous businesses. Mm. They're going to be fine over the next twenty years. Uh, a lot of infrastructure businesses. So if you operate a toll road. That'll be fine over 20 or 30 years. You know, maybe we'll move to electric cars, but people will still need toll roads. If you own airports, uh, we own uh, AENA, which owns, uh, owns and operates all the airports in Spain, people will still be flying to airports in Spain in 20 years' time. Uh, so there's no competitive threat for these guys. Mm. So that's what we look for, are those companies where, where we can look out 20 years or so or 30 years and say, look, we're pretty comfortable that these are sustainably going to be there and they'll be bigger companies. You know, another area uh, I've spoken about before is, is aerospace. You know, the technology in aerospace may well change, but it's highly likely that people will be flying in 20, 30, 40 years and they will be flying more in 20, 30, 40 years. Uh, it may be that the fuel that is used is more environmentally friendly and hopefully it is and the, the engines are more fuel efficient, but people will still be flying. You still need a Boeing or an Airbus to make these airframes um, that, that will move, move huge numbers of people around the world. So, um, uh, you know, these are areas where, where we're confident that demand is still there. In fact, uh, Greg Hayes, who's the uh, chief exec of United Technologies, said that uh, 80% of the world have yet to set foot in an airplane. Okay, so 80% of the world's population have not been in an airplane. Okay, so, so think of the demand that that has for flying over the next 20 or 30 years. As those people get higher incomes, they want to travel, they want to see the world. Uh, so it's a phenomenal opportunity. So it seems like there's, uh, things are moving faster nowadays and you're constantly having to change your views based on new information coming in. And everybody has that information. But what, what, um, when do you sell a company? Because you've had a really good year in 2019 and uh, there's some stocks within that portfolio that have, that have risen quite significantly um when do you actually sell a stock yeah it's a really good question so we uh we've always been what we call value disciplined which um which means that we're looking to generate a certain level of annualized rate of return in every company that we invest in and so we carry a valuation for each company that we invest in that we would sell at and it's a bit of a range, so it's not always a specific number. But as we approach that range, then we will start reducing the position and we will sell out of the, the company in entirety by the top of our value range. Um, so a good example would be Microsoft, um, which I mentioned again today. You know, Microsoft, we probably held for eight years or more, nine years. Uh, we bought in at a very cheap valuation, we thought. Uh, share price was in the low 20s, uh, dollars. 
And we've just sold at kind of $160, you know, so it's up maybe seven, seven or eight times since we bought it. Um, but it's reached our valuation. And so whilst we think it's a phenomenal company, it's executing brilliantly, its results last quarter were really good. There was no uh, catalyst for us to sell. There was nothing that's going wrong. But we think that there's a lot baked into the share price already that, that means that the return from here going forwards won't be as good uh, as we've enjoyed in the past. And so it's reached our valuation that we sell at. And you and you constantly review whether there's new information to to push your your valuation higher, but that's not the case with Microsoft. So obviously, since we've held Microsoft, the business has changed dramatically. So when we first bought it, uh, Steve Ballmer was the chief exec uh, that moved to Satya Nadella. He has a very different culture within the firm. Uh, they've invested hugely in uh, the cloud, so they've moved the business on much more. They've become a much more open business, so they uh, they give the code to other developers, uh, which means that they've uh, given themselves a greater market, so the total addressable market for them is much larger. So, so lots has happened during our period of ownership, and that's allowed us over that period to continually increase our intrinsic value as we've seen these things become successful. But then there becomes a point where everything that we can see is in the shop window, and if everything we can see is in the shop window and reflected in the share price, and we can't see an opportunity for them to really grow substantially more, then at that point, we don't have the opportunity to increase our intrinsic value. Uh, so then at that point, we have to abide by our kind of sell discipline and value discipline and actually sell the position. And then last question from me today, um, and we talked about it earlier during, during the conference, um, what does the future hold the next five to seven years for the global equity markets? Um, I'm glad you kept that till last. We can talk about this for probably 20 minutes or more. Um, so we analyze about 260 companies. We look at the average valuation across all of those, and it, it's not an index, but it's, uh, it includes most of the big uh, high-quality companies, so Google, Microsoft, Facebook, Adobe, uh, all sorts of things like that, SAP. Um, and so it's a good indication as to what we think valuations of markets look like. And at the moment, it says over the next five years, if we look at the average across all our 260 companies, that we think the uh, annualized rate of return will be something in the low to mid single digit range. So say three to 5% annually for the next five years, which is very low. Um, mm. But bear in mind, we've just come through a period of 10 or 11 years where the average is probably 10 or 12% a year. So it's been above average for the last uh, last 10 years or so. so. So we're in a period now where valuations are high and looking forward from here for equity markets, it's difficult to see a very high return over the next five years uh, given the starting valuation. Within that context, though, we think um, that Veritas will do quite well. We tend to perform better in periods of lowly rising equity markets or even declining equity markets. Uh, that volatility tends to give us a huge opportunity to invest in great quality companies, and we can be rifle shot selective in our investment. So if we see something fall, a um, good example is uh, December 2018, markets fell maybe 10%, mm -hmm. and we saw S&P Global, uh, which is a ratings agency and a fabulous company, fell maybe 25%. And that gave us an opportunity to buy a, a position in S&P Global, which has performed, I think it was up maybe 65% in 2019. Um, so we can be very selective and very quick in making purchases if we see better volatility. So 
Returning to the question, I think if, if we expect low to mid single digit returns from uh, the equity market as a whole over the next five years, I'd like to think that we could do high single digit and maybe even touch on kind of the low double digit return uh, over a five year horizon. Um, so that, that would be our aim, certainly. So still a, still a lot to garner from equities over and above where rates and, and bond bond yields are at this point in time i think so selectively so, so right. obviously you know the market as a whole i don't think will perform brilliantly over a five-year horizon with a kind of low to mid single digit mm-hmm. return including dividend um but i think that there's opportunity for us to to outperform that so yeah i think we can do okay well fantastic and thank you very much for your time you're welcome rob thank you cheers any Ned Group Collective Investments is an authorised collective investment scheme manager in terms of the Collective Investment Schemes Control Act. Ned Group Investments does not provide advice on financial products and will only give you factual information. For further details on our funds and to view our terms and conditions, please visit nedgroupinvestments.co.za.